views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. I do feel, Reg, that any anti-imperialist group like ours must reflect such a divergence of interest within its power base. Agreed. Francis? Yeah, I think Judith's point of view is very valid, Reg, provided the movement never forgets that it is the unalienable right of every man or woman or woman to rid himself or herself or herself agreed thank you brother or sister or sister where was i i think you finished oh right furthermore it is the birthright of every man or woman why don't you shut up about women stan you're putting us off women have a perfect right to play a part in our movement reg why are you always on about women stan i want to be one what i want to be a woman from now on, I want you all to call me Loretta. What? It's my right as a man. Well, why do you want to be Loretta, Stan? I want to have babies. You want to have babies? It's every man's right to have babies if he wants them. But you can't have babies. Don't you oppress me. I'm not oppressing you, Stan. You haven't got a womb. Where's the fetus going to gestate? You're going to keep it in a box? Here, I've got an idea. Suppose you agree that he can't actually have babies, not having a womb, which is nobody's fault, not even the Romans, but that he can have the right to have babies. Good idea, Judith. We shall fight the oppressors for your right to have babies, brother. Sister, sorry. What's the point? What? What's the point of fighting for his right to have babies when he can't have babies? It is symbolic of our struggle against oppression. Symbolic of his struggle against reality. And good morning, London. It is Thursday, July 2nd, 2009. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where we will be with you from now until noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. Color it to black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright well, apparently we have we have the right to clean air, even when the air is already clean. Isn't that interesting? Subject today, we're going to be talking part two about the whole idling debate that sort of culminated this week with City Hall changing uh, the rules on idling. Of course, we're down to two minutes now, but um, basically what we're going to be talking about today is about CO2. You know, CO2 is not a pollutant. Uh, we want to talk about destroying all the propaganda that they're throwing at us over this stuff. And the only way to do that is with facts, with science, with reason and reality. So we'll go on the offense in the second half of the show. But in the first half of the show, I think we're going to play a little bit of defense. And we're going to talk about education versus legislation. 519-661-3600 is a number you can call if you want to join in on the conversation. But before you do that, you know, like, pick a number, pick any number, 1, 3, 5, 10, 20, no, well, let's go for 2. It's all so scientific and reasoned, isn't it? And thus, through personal alchemy and witch doctor superstition and ignorance, two minutes has hereby been blindly decreed to be the behavioral limit of running your motor vehicle engine while that engine, or while the vehicle itself, is not actually moving. 
run it all you want, but just make sure your wheels are turning and everything will be okay. If you have any disagreement with this arbitrary figure, you will be educated. And if you still disagree, you will be punished. Go to jail. Go directly to jail. Do not pass reality, reason, science, mechanics, technology, morality, knowledge, and be sure to learn nothing and know nothing, all in the name of education. In a world of municipal councils, you know, and of the green agenda, a one can be a two or it can be a three or any number that can be used as a focus of London's healthcare fascism education campaign, supported by all of our municipal councillors, save one really, maybe two. Um, even the rest who voted against the measure did so because the bylaw was not strong enough for them or had too many exemptions or even worse. Of course, whether legal idling time is one, two, three, four, five, ten, or even twenty minutes makes no difference either to the law or to the environment or to your behavior or mine. The actual number is totally irrelevant to any external referent other than to the emotional sensibilities of the left-wing mind, which is basically out of its mind, actually, almost all of the time. All I see behind the idling bylaw is irrationality, intolerance, fraud, government incompetence, ignorance, stupidity, and these are the nice things I've got to say, and you know what I was saying last week. So today I'll continue to demonstrate by way of presenting you with the direct evidence once again of this unconscionable fraud being openly and knowingly perpetrated in the name of international green, communism, fascism, whichever you, whatever you want, but that's the source of all this crap. Well, my bitching last week got the attention of at least one media outlet in the city since my broadcast, CJBK, decided to run with the fraud that we discussed on last week's show and pitted me against city controller Gina Barber this past Monday as the station's two newsmakers of the day. I heard clips and outtakes from that confrontation throughout the rest of the day and even on the station's first news broadcast of the following day. And you can hear it for yourself at www.justrightmedia.org where I have actually begun a slightly new feature. If you've been there in the last few days, you've already noticed it. And I've got a few extra links there that I will call More Right Media Clips, which are kind of footnotes and excerpts from other media you know, when I get in which I get involved with from time to time, and they'll be uh, attached to the shows, these shows, when, uh, when we're talking about those subjects. And so you'll find these posted with the Just Right broadcast to which they are referred. Now, the decrease in legal idling time really came as no surprise to anyone. Jonathan Scherer in the June 30th London Free Press writes that, quote, last night's decision came after years of debate about toughening a bylaw passed in 1999. A process slowed when fast food restaurants organized opposition to regulating drive throughs Well, there never actually was a debate on any such issue, since no intellectual, scientific, or factual evidence was actually allowed into the debate at any time during the process. The debate is closed, remember. Al Gore said so. Um, all these organizations say so. The City Hall says so. The science is settled because, you know, there is not and never has been any science involved in the green agenda. It has all been excluded from, for, you know, in, in, in the name of politics, really, let's face it. So, personally, I found the rationalizations used to justify idling bylaws to be basically obscene, offensive, downright evil, because when people, you know, evade reality to such a degree, um, it just becomes an assault on reality, on reason, on self, and on consent. And I do not say these things lightly, nor with any sense of humor or hyperbo you know, hyperbole one thing for someone else to have an honest disagreement with me, but 
you know, I would never say such a thing about such people. But their disagreement is not with me, but with the facts. And worse, they knowingly reject the facts, which speaks completely counter to, the, to their own stated goals, which are therefore all a lie. They have to be. And they disdain facts and reason and science as their only means of avoiding reality. What they call symbolism, I call an outright fraud and an outright lie. And anyone who can consciously be doing such a thing, I mean to anybody, for any purpose, I would never trust them for anything. I'd never believe them again. I could never believe anything they ever said again. There's simply no objective moral standard by which they operate. What's right is wrong, and what's wrong is right to them, and it's just as plain and simple as that. So, with my advance apologies for subjecting you to all of this and all the contradictory stuff you're about to hear, you're going to hear it for yourself momentarily, but this is the only way I know of to confront these ideas right, right straight to their face, you know? I think these ideas are evil in the sense, when what I mean when I say evil, I mean that is a conscious evasion of reality, of reason, and facts otherwise known to be true, but acted against. Okay, that's a different thing. It's no different than condemning a man to prison for a murder or a crime that he didn't commit. With respect to uh, one particular counselor, Susan Eagle, I know from bitter experience that condemning a person for something he didn't do, but that she did, didn't have any effect on her sensibilities. And that, of course, was poor Mr. Ely, of whom she harassed using a contrived human rights complaint from a complainant she recruited in plain sight in public in the London Free Press, all in order to wrest his Cheyenne Ave apartment buildings away from him for one of her United Church pet public housing projects. And just as discrimination had nothing to do with Mr. Elieff's case before the Human Rights Tribunal, so too, idling your car has nothing to do with the reason behind our idling bylaws, which are merely the distraction being used to justify the spending of millions of health care tax dollars on a propaganda campaign, which I outlined last week. And so you've got health care fascism basically working with green fascism, and this is a partnership made in hell, I think, and one that belongs there because apparently that's where all the heat is. So the following audio excerpt we're going to hear now, uh, I took from Rogers Cable, and it was from the June 22nd London City Hall meeting, during which uh, everyone discussed the issue of idling. Now, I've managed to take the essentials of what some of the key players said on the issue, gleaned from lots of less than useful discussion. And the following clips featuring on this side of the break, you'll be hearing from Cheryl Miller, Susan Eagle, Gina Barber, Stephen Orser. And on the other side of the break, Roger Carancy, Jay Stanford, Paul Van Meerbergen, Steve Orser again, and Bud Polehill. And what I want you to do while you're listening to this, and by the way, you should know they're not in the order that they appeared in council. I took all the, everything, you know, all the, what I would call the essentials of their arguments, and uh, mixed them up a little bit so it sounded more like a conversation. It actually made a two-hour boring debate more interesting when it's condensed into nine minutes. And uh, I even edited the mayor's voice in there, introducing each person so that you would know who is talking. So uh, listen carefully to their arguments and to the position they take on the issue of decreasing idling to some point below what we already had, the five-minute one, and also the uh, arbitrary, that was just as arbitrary, you know, that five-minute time limit. And ask yourself this question, who do you think is really running the show? And who are the pawns? So, in about 9.75 minutes, I'll be back with a complete deconstruction of what you are about to hear, plus more. Councillor Miller. Yeah. I'm just going to read this letter to the editor because I think it sums it all up. Council, quit idling. 
Let's fix the city. Council, what in the world are you people thinking by wasting time discussing an idling bylaw when the economic world is falling down around us? So I support the three, I support the three minutes, but 16 exemptions does not make this a strong bylaw. So, Councillor Eagle. Thank you. I am going to be supporting the motion on the floor tonight, and, and the idling bylaw is a significant one, and I would like to see the public come forward to speak to it. One of the things that we know is that there has been growing momentum in the, in the mind of the public that we need to be doing more and giving leadership around environmental protection. Um, and so, and certainly we've heard from many, many members of the public, and certainly when we were knocking on doors at the last election, overwhelmingly people were asking us to take a leadership role around protecting the environment. The issue of, of idling is not just one about uh, emissions, it's also one about the waste of gasoline. And the uh, document that ETC had identifies um, $1,300,000 uh, in wasted fuel um, from idling. Uh, another reference too is to um, the, the, um, the, the amount of greenhouse gas emissions that we're also talking about. Uh, these are significant numbers for us to be, to be referencing. The health unit has weighed in on this and said it's important. In fact, that uh, Martin Luther King Jr. once commented that um, while we might do public education and consciousness raising, it is when legislatures are, legislators are prepared to set new standards that we help the, the, the public identify what the new, the new standards should be for their, uh, around their consciousness, around uh, standards and around behavior. And so I think they have to go hand in hand. It's not enough simply to provide education if you're not prepared to also put the legislation in place. So I think it's very important that we look at, at regulating this. In terms of enforcing the bylaw, I have an email that was sent by a member of this council a few years ago saying that the uh, smoking bylaw would never be enforceable. Well, in fact, we, we moved ahead, we took a stand on smoking, we have managed to enforce it, and that's because you get 90% compliance when you move ahead and set a bylaw, and I would expect around idling that we would have the same kind of compliance from people who say this is the new standard, I need to be aware of it, and this is something that I can do as an individual citizen in this community to help create clean air. Thank you. Charlie Barber. <coughs> Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, I didn't realize we were going to be debating the uh, idling issue tonight. I thought that the motion that came forward was about public participation and public engagement. And that's all that the amendment is trying to do, is to give some choice to the citizens. So that rather than telling this council what the citizens of London think, let them tell us and give them some real choice, not just one option, and I tried to uh, get this uh, uh, through at uh, ETC as well, uh, that there be some choices available, in ter both in terms of the time limits that are involved, uh, and so the option of one or three minutes uh, is, uh, I think, a good one, and also in terms of uh, at what point enforcement may come in. Councillor Orser. Thank you, Madam Chair. <laughs> you know, environmental leadership starts at the top, and we were elected here to do that. There's nobody here that went through the last campaign and said, I'm not going to protect the environment. Yeah. If you did, put your hand up. I'd like to see you, because you wouldn't be sitting here. We all know Keep it. Charlie Barber. And uh, with respect to enforcement, I just want to say it's high time that we stop making idle threats.
Francie? Madam Mayor, Madam Mayor, I'm also not going to support what's here, and I have to explain why. Uh, I know that Councillor Miller has said many, many times that she prefers uh, education, and I'll tell you, it works. It works in this instance. Mr. Stanford, if you can find the council what the numbers are. Through education and awareness, uh, we did see uh, substantial reductions in idling. I'd also like to ask another question regarding this. Um, do we know how this will be enforced? Who will be enforcing this? I know the police have said, I'm, I'm, I think it was uh, Chief Faulkner said he does not have the ability to do this. Who will be enforcing Through you, Your Worship, the enforcement would be currently it is with the health unit. That would stay the same. We would add on municipal law enforcement officers uh, through Oris Katolik, the manager of bylaw enforcement, as well as our commissioners who are involved in providing parking tickets, but also be part of the enforcement arrangement. And is, has a cost been attributed to this enforcement piece? Uh, the, the cost would be part of doing the regular business. The way this would be implemented would be through uh, various types of blitzes at different times of the year. And this would be something that would be done more on a reactive basis except during the odd time when there'd be some proactive enforcement through, as I mentioned, blitzes. Okay, so there you go, Madam Mayor uh, and Council. We're not going to be doing this all the time. It'll be on a blitz basis. I just want to know how you're going to do this at a railway crossing that doesn't have a bridge. When the cars are waiting for a train, you've got dozens of cars lined up. Where does the uh, bylaw enforcement officer start? Does he start giving tickets at the furthest? Does he start at the front? Does he go down? Does he take pictures to make sure everybody who's breaking the law? Does he have a timer on each individual car? How is that done? So, Madam Mayor, I say to this council, the prudent way to do this is through education. Madam Mayor Bergen? Madam Mayor. Madam Mayor, it, uh, it's very interesting. I, I have yet, in, in my, uh, since 2003, yet to get a complaint about idling. But clearly, I mean, overall, this is not... Um, a pressing issue that demands uh, us to spin our wheels, so to speak. Um, again, he here we are in a situation where we have the third highest unemployment rate in the country, and, and yet we find time and energy to deal with something which is a non-issue. I mean, I don't hear people out in the streets screaming about idling. Um, here we are, we have a, an idling bylaw, it's already in existence, and we have the time and wherewithal and resources and use up the staff time to come out with something that's uh, uh, even more oppressive uh, to the average resident. I mean, the, these, these oppressive types of um, thou shalt nots that continually come out of this council, uh, I mean, who can forget the infamous uh, let's ban drive throughs Who can forget uh, let's ban bottled water? Now, let, now, now, we, now we just have to uh, start talking about, oh, well, three oh, yeah. minutes, one minute, two minutes. I mean, the bottom line is, what exactly is it that we're trying to achieve? I mean, if we look at what actually is coming out of What's so funny? I, I fail to see the humor. You do. Okay, can we carry on, please? I, I, do we have I'm order? sorry, I carry on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, carry on. Forum. I mean, to laugh about their own initiative. Yeah, to, carry uh, on, Councilor. To use the government, again, to push down on the taxpayers and the residents of the City of London, um, parents waiting to pick up children. I mean, this is basically the kind of thing we're looking at. Uh, if it's three minutes, if it's two minutes, the bottom line is it's still um, incorporating a bigger, fatter, big brother in terms of the City of London to, to tell people what not to do. Councillor Orser. Under the bylaw, administration enforcement, I have a major concern when the owner of a vehicle can be found guilty when he's not driving the car. You know, if you lend your car out to somebody and they get charged under this bylaw as it stands, if it passes, 
we could be issuing a 50 or a $5,000 fine, I believe it is, and you're not even the one committing the offense. You just own the vehicle. Controller Polhill? Well, to start with, uh, Jay and I had a long chat in the, in the hall about this, and, and I have some experience in this, in this business, and some of this, I, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with Nyling bylaw, but we spoke about it, and if you have a brand new car and you pull up to the railroad crossing and there's a train there, and you shut it off after one minute, which is what the proposal was, and you leave it sitting there for four minutes while the train goes by, when you start it up, you create more pollution than if you just left it running. Because everything cools down, the catalytic converter cools down, and, and Jay agreed with me on, on, on this point. You create more pollution by restarting it after four minutes and, and driving away than if you just left it running for the, for the five minutes at optimum uh, uh, control, uh, optimum electronic control. And that, that's a fact. I can show you that anytime you want. You can, we can go down to the mission shop that I get all my emission tests done, and you can prove that to you, that that's what happens. So one minute is, is, is unrealistic because most trains are four or five anyhow. Uh, and if it's a fairly new car, you're going to create more pollution by shutting it off and you've just left it running. Older cars, I, I totally agree with you. I'm glad you didn't suggest uh, 92 or older cars because I'd have to walk home. <laughs> the, the, and, and I think it's going to be self-regulating very shortly because now gasoline is getting up over a dollar a liter. People aren't gonna, are not going to sit there and burn that stuff up. It's, it's just too valuable to burn it up. But I think we've got to be awful careful how we do this and what the timelines are because you can create more problem by doing it than by not, by not shutting it off. And those are facts, and anybody who wants to go with me to a mission shop and, and see that, I'll be happy to take you there. Now I wonder how many of them actually took Bud Polehill up on his offer and went down to his emission shop to actually check it for themselves. I would say, oh, zero, because they're not interested in that. That's not even what it's about. Now, interesting what was said there. First, we hear from Cheryl Miller, talks about a letter to the editor, counsel quit idling. You know, I thought at that point she was going to say, therefore, I'm totally opposed to this. No, she says she supports the limit, but her opposition is based on a fact that the law is not strong enough. She wants to get everybody, okay? Susan Eagle, now there's the interesting one. Don't hear much from her on this issue, do we? She's the only one that provided any kind of argument. Totally wrong one, as usual, totally left-wing, totally communistic. She wants the public to speak, and by the way, all these public hearings are a complete phony thing, too. But you have to know the four stakeholders in this thing, according to Natural Resources Canada, who's running the whole show, is the city staff, city councillors, community advisory group, which I understand is a group called ACE, and that means Cory Morningstar, basically, and the Middlesex London Health Unit. So, you know, and then she argues, Susan Eagle, that the issue of idling is not just about emissions, it's about a waste of gasoline. Now, I've heard this new argument being tossed in as the latest justification. That's a right-wing argument. That's a conservative argument. Well, it'll save money. Look, waste is determined by purpose. When I'm sitting in a car and I've got my fan running and my engine is running that fan, that's a purpose. I'm wasting nothing, absolutely nothing. That's the reason I'm running my car. And if I want to pay a buck a, a liter or two bucks a liter, and to me the value of that being cool is more than the cost, I'm going to do it. It's not a waste, especially in light of the fact that you should be never turning your car off until you complete your trip. But we're going to get into the science of that a little bit later on. As a reminder, we've done it already before on this show. Many times I presented it to City Hall, and as you know, last week we pointed out that even 
the uh, Natural Resources Canada and the government, they are all aware that the scientific journals indicate that the first few minutes after starting a car accounts for 80% of pollution from cars equipped with converters. They know all of this stuff. They know that all our air contaminants come from the Ohio Valley. I went through all this last week. Nothing you can do about it. And you definitely don't want to turn your car on and off because you're just polluting the air, but we'll talk about that momentarily. So don't talk to me about waste. That's purpose. And that what, 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 what a person is doing when they're calling your use of something waste is that they are imposing upon you their value system. That's all it is. And there's no other reason for it. If they could really argue that I was polluting them and, and hurting them, and they do that all the time, but they just aren't attached to reality on that, to harm them, I would have to actually turn my car on and off. That would harm them. You know, and then, in the name of oppression, Eagle invokes the name of Martin Luther King. And she talks about, you know, we might do education for consciousness raising. It is when legislators are prepared to set new standards that we help the public identify what the new standards should be around their consciousness, around standards, around behavior. And so education and legislation have to go on hand, hand in hand, she says. In other words, just like Gina Barber, you've got to use force to educate. And then she talks about sending an email to uh, members, that, or having received an email, sorry, from members of city council a few years ago, talking about how you couldn't enforce a smoking bylaw. And she said, well, we did it and it enforced and we got compliance. There's another lie. You got no compliance. You, cl you closed a lot of bars, you inconvenienced a lot of people. And what's really interesting, and, and that's a fact, a lot of bars went out of business. Just heard an interview with Mike Smith on, uh, on, another, on AM 980 when he was interviewed by Herman Gooden. And they had an hour-long conversation about this very issue. Not, not this one point of the issue, but they were talking about restaurants, bars, what's going on downtown. And uh, Mike Smith made an interesting comment. He said bars didn't suffer at all because smokers just went outside. So that's what we, that, that was the change in behavior that we got there. Thank you, Susan. Now I can pick up cigarette butts in front of my office day and night because thank you for helping my environment to push all these smokers out of where they were before, indoors, where they belong, with their bad habits. But no, they're all standing outside dumping this stuff. But guess who got hurt? It was the food restaurant chain. Isn't that an interesting thing? I don't want to get into the details, but Mike gave a lot of reasons, a lot of psychological reasons why a lot of people stopped going out who weren't really bar hoppers, but went to the restaurants. Once you couldn't smoke, they stopped going. That was the people that got hurt. So thanks, Susan Eagle, for pointing out that um, this is just like the smoking by law, because you're probably right. And then she talks about this is something we in the indiv as individuals can do to help clean air. Would you tell me, based on what science or what fact that is, you know they will refuse to answer that question. They want to educate us. Please educate me. Tell me what science, what fact is that based on? Mm. Oh, God. Just terrible. Gina Barber talks about public participation. What was she talking about when she said there should be choices available in terms of time limits? One in three, we can have a choice. Is that what you're voting for, a choice? <laughs> and then she goes, also, we have to know in terms of what point enforcement comes in. And she says, with respect to enforcement, it's high time we stop making idle threats. So she's literally threatening the citizenry for no reason other than to do it, because she hasn't given a justifiable reason yet. Steve Orser, environmental leadership starts at the top, period, end of story. <laughs> they do that. Roger Carancy says he won't support the bylaw because he prefers education. Well, that's the whole plan, Roger. Education is what they want to do. They want to spend these millions of dollars putting up no idling signs, and you're in favor of that. 
And But what about the science? Why are you putting up no idling signs when you know idling creates more pollution? What is actually the intent behind that? Jay Stanford says, through education and awareness, we've also seen substantial reductions in idling. No, the education and awareness is fines and penalties. That's what it is. Now, you hear how they're going to enforce this thing, eh? Through the health unit, <coughs> hint, hint, that would stay the same because that's where the money's coming from. And they would add on municipal law enforcement officers, commissioners, issue parking tickets. They have blitzes. Sounds like blitzkrieg. Sounds very Hitlerian, doesn't it? And they're going to work on a reactive basis. We're talking about idling a car here. Can you imagine? Once you start making little things like that, um, how shall we put it? Illegal? Um, socially unacceptable? This degrades respect for the law to a degree that I cannot possibly... I've said this before. Like, you know, some guy getting $50, fine, do you hear that for, for if somebody else borrows your car? Actually, I heard everybody in the background say, oh, no, that's just for a fleet. Well, how nice. That, that justifies it. Mm-hmm. Very just. We are in a very just society. Carla Homolka's out, out of jail, but we're going after idlers. We have people in this city, robberies every night. Uh, just, <laughs> just sickening, and we're going to spend time on this. And then, uh, you know, again, currency. Oh, the prudent way is education. No, I don't want to be educated into what is not true. Can you understand that? Is that hard to take? I, I just don't get it, you know? Paul Van Meerbergen made a good point. says he's never heard, had a complaint about idling. And he talked about it being a non-issue. He's totally right. He talked about all the thou shalt nots. I could go through a list of those. And then everybody, of course, laughs at him, which is the tactic. And he asked, what's so funny? Well, what's funny is that uh, they know he's, he's not going to win the vote, and, you know, they don't share his point of view. Bud Polehill says he talked to Jay Stanford, and he discussed the whole thing about Eiling, and apparently they both agree. Are you hearing this? They both agree that a car pollutes more when you start it more often. But boy, they're pushing that. Keep starting your car. Huh? This, this is what I mean by evasion of reality. I really don't care where people sit on the vote. But when you start evading reality, and you know, in my... Now, Monday morning, I had a one-on-one with Gina Barber. It was outrageous. Not going to play it. It was on another station, but you can hear it on site. It's sitting there right now, www.justrightmedia.org. Don't go there now. Wait till after the show, because I'm going to be talking about that conversation right now. And again, during the conversation with me, (laughs) conversation, um, on CJBK, she talks about receiving a recommendation from staff, the 60-second limit, and she supports it. Exemptions under certain heat alerts and cold weather warnings, which, by the way, did not go through, and penalties of $50 and very heavy emphasis on education, education. Because, of course, that's where the money is for them. That's what they want. They want our money. And please don't even look at the idling. It's all about our money. That's all it is. And so I pointed out that anyone who follows the bylaws religiously would be increasing pollution tenfold, and that the people advocating the bylaw know it. And then I referred to Natural Resources Canada case study, implementing an idling bylaw, control bylaw in London, Ontario. You can Google it yourself, Natural Resources Canada case study, implementing an idling control bylaw in London, Ontario, and uh, where the government itself admits to the whole thing being a scam. 
And so what they wanted to do is get everybody all wound up about 26 exemptions to the bylaw, whether it should be one, three, five minutes. When we're all looking that way, they're slipping through the health care dollars in the back door, and that's what they want. And then they say it's on education because, oh my goodness, we're all so relieved that they're not going to fine us, they're only going to educate us, when in fact that's the bigger fine. Because the people who aren't even driving a car are going to be paying that one. It comes out of their health care dollars. So, you know, and they say, oh, they prefer education to legislation. Uh, well, it's not a choice of that. It's not either or. It is both. And that, again, you f can find on that site. Number 13, uh, enforcement will be linked with education and time tickets will be issued. It's all part of the same package. You do not separate one from the other. And you heard Susan Eagle totally make that explicit. So, you know, if you're talking education, there would never, ever, ever be a fine involved, would there? And that's the other problem with what they call education. It's really disinformation. Everything they're saying is wrong. It's backwards completely. So, you know, then Gina Barber, she interrupts me while I'm saying all this, and she says, oh, well, that's 10-year-old research, she tells me. <laughs> oh, I, that, I was, you know, I was on the radio there, not as myself. I was speaking on behalf of an organization, namely Freedom Party, so I had to bite my tongue at that point and just stick to my eight-minute interview facts. But... If that's what she says, and why is she herself following verbatim every line in that 10-year-old document, if it's old research and not valid anymore? She follows it religiously. To say nothing of her 200-year-old ancient ideology of tribalism that she follows. And then she says, right after that, she says, the most recent updates are recommendations from Natural Resources Canada, the same group I just told her about that she's denying. She's denying their research in the first sentence and then referring to it in the second. Okay, and she says their cutoff is 60 seconds. Do you know why the cutoff went to 60 seconds? You'll hear about this. Oh, you know, some people said it was 10, but it made it 60. Well, according to CBC News, August 11, 2008, uh, there used to be a website run by uh, the federal government website, and they would advise people to shut off their engines after 10 seconds, and they increased it to 60. Basically, because they got, quote, access to new research, taking into account the wear and tear on a car's battery and starter caused by shutting off and restarting the engine. And, uh, you know, th they believed before that, well, maybe that was minimal. Well, it's funny I mentioned that a year ago. I said, that can't be good. Any mechanical device, even a light bulb, when's, when is it going to pop? It's going to pop when you turn it on. That's the point of stress, on and off. That's why some people are very reluctant to turn their computers off. Because they know that's when things will go wrong if, th if things are going to go wrong. And so, you know, I tried to, again, quote Natural Resources Canada. She, she comes back with the 10-year-old recommendation and all that stuff. And, um, you know, she says, talks about, then she talks about education being very important. And she says, quote, I've been an educator all my life, and I know very well that education without the sanctions to back it up is not effective. You need a little bit of both, she says. And education goes a long way, but you also need to focus the attention. And when you have sanctions, the attention is focused. So, okay, I'm going to try and teach somebody that two and two is four. And you hit them every time. It's four, Johnny, it's four. Four and four is eight. Bang! Is that how you learn? How you learn in school? You get hit in the head to learn something? <laughs> I've never learned anything that way. It's not even possible. You cannot control the mind. And that is what the left is after. They want your mind, you know, it, they want your body and mind, but it's just, it's insane. Anyways, and she talks about, you know, basically you have to be 
some kind of uh, fascist teacher in order to teach. And then I talked about why do we have to put up with all this junk science and blah, blah, blah. Why aren't they listening to physicists? She didn't hear a word. She just talked right through as though I weren't there. And um, it, just, it was just an amazing thing. So um, I was basically saying that, you know, that you would think that the purpose of a bylaw would be to reduce pollutants. And if that is its purpose, and it's not, then we would have some rational legislation that would meet with that. CO2 is not a pollutant. CO2 does not cause global warming. CO2 is a consequence of warming and heat, always is. And the whole effort, even from the, from the UN down, is all based on a false premise. And um, by the way, you know, you should know that this city has already received a $52,000 grant from the first of the many handouts from Natural Resources Canada. Uh, Jay Stanford here in London, Ontario, received, um, well, 52000 He's been working with the London-based group TREE, T-R-E, Thames Region Ecological Association. Natural Resources Canada says that they provide financial support to implement energy-saving projects if you are a stakeholder. Well, I'm not. You're not. No citizen is. <laughs> the stakeholders are three levels of government in Cory Morningstar. Um, so they get the money. And you can apply if you're one of them. Go ahead and apply. And then, of course, uh, you know, when I say they're spending millions, it's people doubt me. Already they spent $1.2 million allocated to support 15 action-based as well as research-based projects that propose actionable solutions to changing the behavior of Canadian drivers aimed at reducing carbon dioxide, of all things, the principal greenhouse gas emission linked to climate change. No concern at all about things that actually pollute and hurt people. And you'll notice that when they talk about the Corporation of the City of London, changing driver behavior in London, $52,500. That was the grant, and that's why you're getting all this crap, because Natural Resources Canada is paying them to lie to you. And because they want the money so bad, they'll tell you anything. Prove me wrong. Call me up. Are you out there? Come on, call me up and tell me none of this is true. Tell me it's dated. Address driver behavior, the main focus, idling of vehicles. And where do they want to do this? At strip plazas, schools, daycares, car wash facilities, and workplaces. And your home, of course. And they want to, of course, provide personal vehicle educational materials so they can print up a whole bunch of paper and crap and hire their buddies in the publishing industry and put out all their stuff and just waste your money while you wait in emergency room for health care. I don't know. Sometimes I get depressed, but I can't let that get to me today. Let's take a quick break, and we'll come back, and we'll go on the offensive instead after this break. Oh, before we do that, i got to tell you what's coming up in that break, because this is a very significant break, actually. And that is, as with uh, last week's selected clip from uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, where, where an environmental leader proudly states her case for for lying to her followers in the name of creating an ideal death cult community, okay? The following episode of Star Trek The Next Generation is again one of those really depressing and real revealing episodes of, of, of a fascist mindset. Now, in this audio excerpt taken from the episode Chain of Command, Captain Picard is being educated by his Cardassian captor. And just as those imposing unjust and unreasonable idling law bylaws know that the information upon which, uh, you know, those they torment act upon is not, re not even valid, 
um, their information, the person who, who's, who's idling is perfectly okay. So too, Picard's Cardassian torture admits to the accuracy and truth of what Picard has been telling them. He doesn't care about that, because that's not his objective. His objective is to get Picard to deny reality. Education through punishment. Because he, like all statists, knows that once he can get you to deny reality, you are no longer in control of your life. People can tell you what to do. And if you doubt even for one idle second that that is the psychological objective of all socialists and fascists, then what you're about to hear will be totally lost on you. Well, it's time to move on. I told you all that I know. Yes, I'm sure you have. How many lights do you see there? See four lights? No. There are five. You're quite sure. There are four lights. Perhaps you're aware of the incision in your chest. While you were under the influence of our drugs, you were implanted with a small device. It's a remarkable invention. By entering commands in this pad, I can produce pain in any part of your body. Various levels of severity. Forgive me. I don't enjoy this, but I must demonstrate. It will make everything clearer. <laughs> Surprising, isn't it? Most people feel at first they can't steel themselves against it, but they're completely unprepared for the intensity of the pain. That was the lowest possible setting. Nothing about me, Miss Cooper. But I've told you that I believe you. I didn't ask you about me, Noskova. I asked how many lights you see. There are four lights. I don't understand how you can be so mistaken. Oh, President, what you haven't been told is that this is a disaster scenario. Sir, <clears throat> as we all know, man-made chemicals like chlorofluorocarbons have infiltrated the upper atmosphere and weakened the ozone. But that is just the beginning. Our atmosphere has always been a mix of nitrogen, oxygen, and 2% of the gases. That 2% has gone to 5% in the last 10 years. And most of that is methane, highly volatile, highly flammable methane. Sir, when those CMEs break through the ozone, they will ignite pockets of methane and literally set the sky on fire. Thank you for your time. Sir. How dare you use this agency and its good name for your Armageddon propaganda? <laughs> Armageddon propaganda. That's pretty much what's being shoved down our throats to promote all of this. You know, it's the irony of ironies that with all their talk of education, None of them really want to educate us. When faced with the facts, they make no attempt to even refute them. So where is the education? 
What do our counselors actually know about CO2? Now, CO2 is a greenhouse gas. They all parrot from their little green books. You know, why is CO2 a greenhouse gas? What would you make you say? What would make you say that? You know, please educate me. Why will they not answer my simple questions if education is their goal? I want to understand why CO2 is bad. I haven't heard that argument made yet. I've heard theories that have all been proven false, but I want to hear theirs. And why is two minutes supposedly a just time after which to legally punish someone for not creating CO2 per se, but for doing so while an engine is not engaged with the drive wheels and they are moving? You can go around and create all the CO2 you want. Just make sure you're moving while you do it. Why is everybody following the little green book? Clearly coming out of Natural Resources Canada in this case. Would you please educate me on that one? And since when do healthcare authorities have the jurisdiction to enforce government propaganda on climate, on auto mechanics, on parking infractions? Would you explain that to me? Educate me on that one. Are these doctors all going to uh, mechanical school to, and, they, and they study global warming and climate? What doctor do you know that ever told you CO2 is bad for you? Do you know one? You know that CO2 is what you exhale? <laughs> do people know that? Education is about knowledge and understanding, not about obeying irrational sociopaths who use all sorts of threats and fines on idling to disguise their real crime, which is spending health care dollars on this propaganda campaign. And as I said, you know, whether you drive a car or not, that means you're paying for idling prohibition propaganda. It not only spends your money, but in, you know, in doing so, shortchanges genuine medical care expenses and spreads false information and increases the influence of government, which is the sole cause of virtually all of these social crises. So with all their talk about raising consciousness, the one thing that's very glaringly clear is that they are not conscious of any of the necessary disciplines required to arrive at an objective, not anecdotally subjective opinion. You know, last week I, I relayed Cheryl Miller's story about how she personally approached a driver in an attempt to shame a person idling their car. And hear that, by the way, the original is now, I posted it to the site, just talked about it last week, but you can actually link to it and hear the actual conversation now. And then while I was doing research for this, I heard a similar story out of Steve Orther's mouth, you know, how someone at a railway crossing in front of him was spewing out black smoke while idling in front of him, and how he narrowly avoided some confrontation when he attempted to address the problem. Now, I gotta say, both Miller and Orser's confrontational kind of bully approach to idling in each of their anecdotal examples is entirely unrelated to any CO2 issues, or even with idling per se. So, you know, I've heard the idle counselors argue that their position on idling is a no-brainer. Well, please educate me again on how having no brain of, is of assistance in arriving at your conclusions. Exactly what thinking was used to arrive at the conclusion you insist on educating the rest of it, uh, us with. How can we possibly be educated if no one's able to explain the logic or the science behind the message? Is this all memory work? Is that where I got to go? <laughs> I'm going to fail the test, folks. I always flunked when it had to do with memory work, but if I had to understand it, I did really well. Let's listen to something about CO2. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back and hear something from the greening of planet Earth. Carbon dioxide is the major building block of life. Plants extracted from the atmosphere during photosynthesis and transform it into the food we need to survive. As a byproduct of this process, oxygen is released. Throughout the history of life on Earth, there has generally been much more CO2 in the atmosphere than there is today. These higher levels of carbon dioxide encouraged life. 
Vegetation in prehistoric eras was lush and grew profusely over wide areas. As this vegetation died and decayed, much of its trapped carbon was transformed into the coal, oil, and natural gas the world depends on today. The carbon dioxide that was in the atmosphere is now being returned to it by the burning of fossil fuels, a natural byproduct of man's industrial evolution. And as more and more scientists are confirming, our world is deficient in carbon dioxide, and a doubling of atmospheric CO2 is very beneficial. I probably share the puzzlement of a lot of people in trying to understand why modest warming is treated as one of the gravest dangers facing mankind. I simply do not know why. I do know what I have seen as have most other people on television, you know, pictures of palm trees in Boston, Washington underwater. And, and those indeed are part of what I suppose one could call a cataclysmic scenario. But to the best of my knowledge, they have nothing to do with what any scientist has predicted, regardless of which side of the issue he is on. actually aired way back uh, before we ever heard of Al Gore or any of the other uh, climatologists on this whole global warming thing. Now, you know, I was told by Gina Barber that the research was 10 years old, etc. But Doug Bethune, who appeared before city council on this issue, that wasn't 10 years ago, that was about a year ago, and he said all the same things. And Doug Bethune is one of the people um, who actually was there to explain the science of automobiles, and he was one of the people who invented all the standards and set the standards. And how he, his major confusion when he came before city council was, what, why is everybody confusing CO2 with pollution? He says, these are two very different things. Pollutants are carbon monoxide, hydrocarbons, oxygen, nitrous oxide. These are the emissions that affect human health. And, in, and he pointed out that when they measure the cleanliness of your car's exhaust, one of the desirable standards is a high CO2 level. You want it at about 13 to 15 percent, which means at that point you get the lowest percentage of pollutants. So, and he said when your car is idling, the amount of these exhaust pollutants is negligible. Now, something that I know a lot of people seem to misunderstand, and it's about, you know, well, your catalytic converter is still warm, and um, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, do we have a call coming in? Yeah, let's take it. Sorry? Oh, oh in one minute. Okay. Um, but in any case, it takes three or four uh, minutes longer in colder weather for your computer to recalibrate. And Mr. Bethune explained that what happens is uh, um, your, your converter is running in a closed loop when it is running properly and operates in an open loop while it's warming up. So it's not an issue of warming your car up. It's not about warm and cold. It's your computer is rebooting. Just like when Windows crashes. You, does, it, does your computer boot up faster and right away after it crashes? No, it's got to go through all the reboot procedures. Okay, so um, it's not really about warming up. And he made that very clear. And as soon as that computer does all of its recalibrating, then 
your car is running clean. And, uh, you know, Doug Bethune was instrumental in setting emission exhaust laws, etc. Now, it was interesting, on the other side of that debate, there was Bruce Cox, um, executive director of Greenpeace. I covered all this on the show before. And so when he was confronted with the, the scientific idling facts presented by Bethune, Mr. Cox replied, well, it's not about idling. Huh? And he says he didn't want to, quote, muddle the issue with pages and pages of facts, end quote. And it's not about facts, he explains. It's, quote, about what kind of culture do we want to create to fight climate change. So, okay. So we got our caller here. Elena? Yes, hello. Hello. Um, I wanted to um, just kind of share, rather than confront or anything, um, the idea of idling. Um, okay, in its extreme form, idling has manifested itself as uh, somebody has a, an attached garage and they leave the car sitting idling. And if if they've stayed inside, people have died. Um, and sometimes even it's leaked above and some have died and some have uh, been hospitalized. The other, so that's in its extreme form, obviously, for whatever duration. Yes, a, a car um, in okay, a closed on a area will... On a simple um, scientific explanation, when a car is sitting idling, it's not doing anything, it's not moving, there is incomplete combustion, the result of which is carbon monoxide, monoxide, not dioxide, and carb carbon monoxide, what carbon monoxide um, does, the valence is CO, so when, to the extent that it's idling, all the... Um, carbon monoxide emitted is robbing the the oxygen that surrounds that vehicle in for whatever uh, periphery. And now, I'm qu I'm quite aware you're talking about hydrocarbons, which is the unburned fuel. Now, according I'm to talking about carbon monoxide, I'm talking about the actual what happens in that reaction, which is to rob the air. It actually grabs the oxygen from, but, but where from did you the get, air may, may and, I, may and I, attaches itself to the CO, becoming CO2, okay? That's that's the scientific explanation. Well, CO2 but, is not a problem. No, 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 but robbing oxygen from the surround... And, in fact, people are giving themselves... Um, uh, a, a number of years ago, a study done on taxi drivers who... But, 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 but hang on, hang on. Have you ever heard a politician anywhere say that the reason they want to h shut down cars is because they rob rob us of oxygen? This is the first. This is not their. I am addressing their arguments. And now I'm not going to say that if you sit in a car with a in a garage with your car running, you're not going to pass out. Of course you are. But the point is, your information is quite contrary to every single scientific report I've I've read. You certainly aren't no, agreeing with Doug Bethune. All. Not at all. Not no? at all. No, no, no. Quite honestly, if you access the, uh, even if you if you need to go back, um, go to David Suzuki. Although I'm not sure that, um, because his forte was other things, but he's also very versed in other domains. You shouldn't have said science. that. You really shouldn't have said that. Why? Well, David Suzuki. He's very, very highly regarded. Uh huh. By whom? Not uh, by the, not by the scientific. You, you haven't listened to this show very. Long. I've had. You should hear the clips from David Suzuki. I've played on this show. Um, 
Well, oh, you know I what? You, oh, you are being confrontational. I wasn't. I was sharing. Actually, if people pop open uh, a good science book, they will see exactly the effect of carbon monoxide. You didn't... Elena, I'm, get, I'm, get, I'm, get, I'm getting, I'm getting, yeah. uh, the show is over actually because I'm getting a signal, but you know, um, oh man, you said so much there, but uh, I would have liked to have had your references. If you could send them to me, send them to Just Right Media, uh, um, or sorry, at, um, um, oh, I have to look up that, uh, oh, here it is, it's uh, justrightchrw at gmail.com. Send me your references, I'd like to see them. Anyways, we've got to go today, we'll finish her up on a future show. So until next week, hope you join us on our journey in the right direction until then. Fade into color and color into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be I can't win. This is kind of like a vacation. It's kind of like I'm working a little bit, but uh, my last vacation I took was my wife's idea. We went to a bed and breakfast. Have you heard of these things? The worst. Yeah, she calls it a bed and breakfast. I call it a stranger's house. <laughs> How the hell are you? in somebody's house. Who are these people? What? Insane. Hey, honey, maybe next year we'll stay in somebody's apartment. Would you like that? A <laughs> little couch and snack? What a bunch of crap. You ever... Somebody's... Pl- I'm paying for a sleepover. You know, this sucks. Where are we? The lady who owns the place tells us we serve breakfast from 5 to 8 in the morning. Great, I got to sleep in to 7.40. How relaxing. I skip breakfast. So basically, I'm staying out of bed. Screwed. <laughs> Can't win. Oh, man.